0: Three, two, one, 2, 1, go. Hey guys, welcome to Stephen Runs Vegan. Thank you very much for tuning in, really appreciate that you're listening. Hope you're doing well. If it's your first time here, welcome. My name is Stephen. I'm a Irish guy, I'm a vegan runner, I live in Harlem in the Netherlands, and if you look back on my podcast, a lot of the podcast, the majority I would say, is about veganism or running or both. But I'm also, by trade, by profession, a flight attendant, or cabin crew as we like to call it. And I really haven't talked about that much on my podcast yet, so I thought it might be fun to share those kind of stories today. So, welcome to the day in the life of a flight attendant. I remember as a kid I used to be so excited about going on holiday. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, so we usually went abroad every two years. And I loved every part of it from the the whole holiday itself, obviously, but the part I really enjoyed uniquely was the, the travel. The airport, even as a kid, you know, six or seven years old, I loved being in an airport. There was a buzz there. We were probably changing our money to some foreign currency. Or maybe we, we got to eat food that we didn't normally eat because we were in an airport. Just something fun about that. And I'll never forget the joy, the the just of feeling, the sensation of being sitting in your chair when the airplane gets to the runway for takeoff and it pushes you back in your seat as the engines power up. But a part of that was the crew. You would see the flight attendants, you would see the cabin crew on board on any flight you've been. I've, I've traveled much more since. And I'd always be curious. I'd look at the crew and they're generally very friendly and very helpful and certainly hardworking. And just so distant it's so different should i say it's so unattainable they're just a a separate species so as i've said a couple of times on the podcast what i like to do is break down the walls between um, certain worlds for example if you've never met or talked to a vegan before and I, i you can listen to the podcast and you hear what it's like to live life as a vegan or a marathon runner was another one that i referenced if you see a marathon in a city you're visiting and the people are running by it's just a different world you they run marathons and you don't there there's no there's a big gap in between so i like to break down those walls i like to let you into the the world of a vegan runner that's all i can give you that's what i am but also the world of a flight attendant which is i think is another one of those jobs where you just think oh that's not for me. Some it's only for a certain type of person, or you just I I had no idea as a kid growing up how wh- how who becomes a flight attendant? And how do you do it? Is it a calling? But let me tell you. Let me get into it. So that's a bit of the the background anyway. Traveling as a as a kid and growing up, even traveling in my teens and early twenties when I started to do it myself, just for uh, pleasure. When I had a bit of money of my own, I started exploring Europe a lot. Frequent flyer on Ryanair between I would say. 2008 and 2013 and a much more frequent flyer after that because I became an employee of Ryanair. I worked for Ryanair for three years. Uh, In 2013 I joined them and let me tell you it wasn't really ever the plan. I should say that pretty early on. As a kid on those planes I loved looking at the crew and watching them and I loved when they got to show us around that kind of thing. It was fascinating but it was never my dream. I didn't grow up wanting to be a flight attendant all my life. After university, I was living in Dublin and I was working in a supermarket, you know, paying just to pay the bills. It was fine. It was an enjoyable job, but nothing special. But then I was looking for something else, really. I just, I was a bit stagnant, kind of going nowhere, and I wanted to leave Ireland. I was flirting with the idea of going to Canada on a work visa, and I looked at New Zealand as well. But I also saw this opportunity to work for Ryanair as cabin crew. And I first saw it and just dismissed it. I think I saw it in a newspaper. And I thought, yeah, okay, that's not for me, that sounds, yeah, that sounds a bit too invested for me, that's something, uh, I don't know. But I was job hunting in Ireland at the time, and getting almost no replies, even, and if I did get a reply, it was a no. I'm sure we've all received a letter like that over the years. And after a few months of pretty soulless job hunting, or soul-draining job hunting, I should say, I saw this Ryanair ad again and I thought, yeah, why not? I'm I'm single, I'm young, I'm in my early twenties. And yeah, long story short, I became a flight attendant. Passed the interview, went into training, that was great. I, I had a six week training course with Ryanair in Bratislava, Slovakia of all places. During the interview they got to you could fill out a paperwork, uh fill out all the forms, but one of them was your preference for where you'd like to be based. So Ryanair have bases all over Europe. And you could not decide but you could have some influence over where you were sent where you'd like to work i had learned german in school i studied german and not just the language but a bit of the culture as well i watched movies and knew some german music and i, I was curious i really wanted to visit and i wanted to learn get better at german because since school i had just forgotten all about it so the idea of being based over in germany and living there working as a flight attendant was pretty attractive The training was six weeks long, it was intense, a lot of study, a lot of work, really, I don't know how, looking back, I don't know how I managed to memorize the sheer amount of content. But it was really enjoyable, I had a really good training group, a lot of good friends I made there, we had a great time. I spent six weeks living in Bratislava, Slovakia, which is a really cool city. Uh, Yeah, I had a great time in Bratislava, Um, it's really cheap over there and it was just fun to be in a new city and really be independent and abroad for the first time, it was exciting. And then I was sent to Germany. I was going to be based in Dusseldorf Weeze Airport, which is Weeze for any English speakers. It's W E E Z E, which in German is Weeze. I could never really pronounce it right. Dusseldorf Weeze Airport. The airport code was N or N. You know, every airport in the world has a code. Dublin is D U B. Amsterdam is A M S. The my airport code was N or N, which was Niederrhein, which was the name of the region that the airport was in. So. Dusseldorf-Wetze, it was not really near Dusseldorf, about 50 kilometers away. But we were in Niederhain. And in NRN, we also called it Narnia. I, in hindsight these days, Ryanair certainly has a reputation with passengers. and They're infamous for being cheap, but that's it. There's no extras, no luxuries. If something goes wrong, you're on your own. It's very basic. And that's basically how they treated the crew too. I, but I like to say I had a great time there. I really, I spent three years working for Ryanair. Living in the small town of Kevelaar in Germany, near the Dutch border, that was one of the reasons I wanted to be based there as well, because it was near the Netherlands and I could explore two countries instead of just one. Really, as time went on, I spent a lot more time in the Netherlands than I did in Germany. Spent much more time in cities like Nijmegen and Venlo and Venray, which were all nearby, even Amsterdam, than I did in Cologne, Dusseldorf, Dortmund, although they were great cities too. Really, it it was a great area to be. There was a lot going on around, even though the town I lived in was quite small. It was very cute, very pretty, beautiful to walk through. A bit quiet, but then again, I was not really a party animal either, so a lot of the colleagues my age would complain that there's nothing to do. No nightlife, for example, and not much shopping, and really, I didn't care about all that. I had a nice time. But yeah, the, you didn't earn a lot of money working for Ryanair, and the quality, the working conditions were... Passable because just legally, by European standards, they have to meet certain requirements, and they—you could live off the salary. It was certainly an education. A, 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 the work ethic, the work, the demands were very hard. It was intense, especially the summer months. I work for EasyJet now. I'm, I'll be getting to them in a second, but it, by comparison, they're roughly the same sort of company, the same kind of business model, and very much uh, rivals, major rivals, Ryanair and EasyJet. But uh, it, the working practices are polar opposites. Are really, the EasyJet is way above, and I can say that from being on both sides. But I'd like to say I had three years in Ryanair that I loved, and I loved it despite Ryanair, not because of Ryanair. I had a great time there in my life, and that they facilitated that. That was the job. That was why I ended up in that part of Germany. But as time went on, it... The work, it was very tough and it became draining. You would see a lot of more experienced colleagues, people who'd been there for five or ten years, which for a company like Ryanair, that's already a long time. People like that would start to become very cynical and I'd notice they're really jaded and I just really didn't want to become one of them. I didn't like their attitude to people, to the job, to their situation. And I thought, and I could feel it happening in me too. So I thought I wanted something else, and at the time I was dating a Dutch girl, and so I was also kind of looking to move to the Netherlands for that reason too. We were getting pretty serious. So I saw this job opportunity became available to work in Amsterdam Schiphol Airport. Schiphol is the name, it's the Amsterdam International Airport, one of the biggest and busiest in Europe. Certainly the one I worked for in Ryanair was not, it was tiny. Ryanair were the only ones there. Very small regional airport. It was nice. It, it was fine. Kind of cute because it was so small, but I wanted to work in an international airport. I wanted to see the, all the other airlines. I wanted some activity, some buzz. Now that I have that, that I work in a place like that, that sounds cool, but then you realize there's a lot of more security checks, a lot more walking. It's just bigger and busier and a lot more hectic. Certainly takes up a lot more of your day just getting to and from work, but we'll get to that. Don't worry, I am getting to the day in the life of a flight attendant. I want to talk you through a day that I did just two days ago. But just a bit of background in the meantime. So this new job opportunity became available in Amsterdam. I went over for the interview. It was my first time landing in Schiphol for that interview the night before. I was very excited about it. Having been living in Germany and visiting the Netherlands very often, I really loved the Netherlands. This was the honeymoon period of my time here. Everything Dutch was just better. The people were cool. The cities were great. I just I was really excited. So to be landing in Schiphol, seeing all the KLM planes, it was one of those silly things. I, I had such a romantic view of the Netherlands, which has since faded, but it, it, somewhat. It's not completely gone. Don't worry. But certainly in the beginning, it was just wow. I was so excited, and it, to the idea of possibly living and working there was just so inspiring and clearly something worked i got the job the only issue was the in, in the interview the i got the job on the on the condition that i speak dutch and i i knew that from the start that was one of the requirements to be based in amsterdam you had to speak some dutch it didn't have to be fluent but you needed to be pass you needed to pass a test i believe before you started working and that was really motivating. A little bit scary, but the fun kind of scary, because I thought, OK, well, I've kind of told them I speak Dutch and that I can pass the test, so now I have to. At the time, I really didn't have any Dutch at all. I had a few words, and I spoke German pretty well. And so I went on to Duolingo, and thankfully with my ex, I lived with her family for a while between Ryanair and EasyJet, we, and I lived completely Dutch, as in no English was spoken. It was four months, I believe, and we only spoke Dutch, and that was my choice, I asked it of them, I said, can you please do every chat with me, let it be in, in het Nederlands, in Dutch, and it was great, I watched a lot of Dutch TV, I just lived in the Dutch language, and it's the best way to learn a language, in hindsight, in the moment, especially in the early weeks and months, so awkward, so difficult, I wanted to have a conversation with these people, and I forced myself to do it in Dutch and it wasn't easy and you would sound like a six-year-old trying to have a conversation because I had the Dutch vocabulary of a six-year-old at the time. So it's no fun, but it really is the most effective way because you're living in it. That's what a language is for. So as a result of all that, I did pass the language exam quite easily, quite well in the end, and thankfully that was the the the, the kickstart I needed to learn to speak Dutch and I do now. I, well, it wat goed Nederlands. Not helemaal goed, but the Nederlanders begrijpen me well and that is genoeg. Showing off a little bit maybe. That's just me saying I don't speak great Dutch, but I, it's not bad and that's enough for me. And that led me to Amsterdam or to Harlem, specifically. That's the town I still live in now, six years later. I needed to move in anywhere in within the amsterdam airport area and like every foreigner i think i wanted to move to amsterdam i was excited i loved that city i'd been visiting many times at that point but amsterdam is crazy expensive and there's the availability is so small and when something is available it's probably out of your price range and if it's not out of your price range it's going to be 50 other people viewing it and someone probably has a better job or a more secure contract or whatever than i did Though I I remember I looked at apartments in uh, Hilversum, in Leiden, and one in Harlem as well. And I'm still in that very apartment to this day. And still working for EasyJet to this day. So let me get on to that. Obviously the pandemic is a big elephant in the room, especially when it comes to travel and, you know, airlines and the aviation industry. For the last year and a half, I've really had not much to do. There has been little to no work for most of 2020 and so far most of 2021. Except now, this summer, this July specifically, the work has just, boom, it's exploded. I'm working a full summer schedule now, as if I did in 2018 or 2019. And it's really exciting and really fun, and it's great to be back at work. But it's a bit tiring, because we've gone from 0 to 100 in in two seconds flat. That's how it feels. I've just come off a four-day work week, and four days is not too bad. You know, most people work at least four days in a row. But most people don't work at 40,000 feet every day. And so that the, the air quality and the the, the the fact that our human bodies are not really designed to function at that altitude, that's quite tiring. And then when you haven't been doing it for so long, it the old problems, like the, your ears get clogged when you're on a flight, but when you start to fly every day for years and years, that doesn't become an issue anymore. But now it's an issue again. My ears are getting clogged on landing, or my skin is not used to it. I'm getting a lot of grazes and... Uh, you know, breaking in my skin because it's so dry up there and we have to wash our hands all the time. So little things like that. But overall, it's really great to be back and it's just good to feel productive again. So let me take you through now the day in the life of me. I think I said two days ago earlier. I meant to say yesterday. I did this duty, as we call it. I did this work day yesterday. And I did split Malpensa, which is aviation talk, but that is a four-sector day. So I'm already getting to in the in the weeds about the vocabulary that we use. Let me strip it back a little bit. So when you think about a flight attendant, the classic idea, forget about the movies or Pan Am or the glory days, all the back in the day, you know, none of that. But the modern day flight attendant, typically there are layovers and you have 24 hours in New York before you fly home or in Tokyo and you're dealing with hotel rooms and time zones and all that kind of thing. That I I have none of that. So I work for EasyJet a European you know, short-haul airline, all things considered. The, The furthest destinations we fly to from Amsterdam are in Egypt and Israel. So technically Africa and the Middle East, but really predominantly European airline. And we don't stay in the destinations, that's key. Especially now with COVID, that's the reason we can still fly, because critically we don't get off the plane, so we get exemptions from a lot of these rules that the passengers would have. So basically I sleep in my own bed every night there are always unforeseen circumstances there might be bad weather in the destination you fly to so you have to stay or there might be a technical problem with the plane you can't fly back you might have to stay that can happen but it's very rare the vast majority of the time I will fly to the destination and back again in the same day and that's go home that's it that's my work day but there are some days where you have two flights there and back if your destination For example, uh, Lisbon is quite far away, and it takes a long time to fly there and a long time to fly back, about three hours. But some days you're only flying to London Gatwick Airport and back, and that's a 45-minute flight, maximum one-hour flight. So if you fly there and back, that's two or three hours of work. So they make you do four flights instead. So you fly to London and back, and then, for example, you could fly to Berlin and back in the same day. So those days where we have four flights, there and back, and there and back, we call them sectors, not flights for some reason. So that's a four-sector day. I have two-sector days and four-sector days. And this particular one, Split-Malpensa, is a four-sector day. So Split, the city in Croatia, we fly there, and then we go back again to Amsterdam, and then we fly to Malpensa, which is Milan-Malpensa, one of the Milan airports, and back again. So in one day, I'm in the Netherlands, Croatia, and Italy, all in one day, that's I don't want to forget that. That's pretty damn cool if you ask me. I don't stay. I'm not having pizza in Milan. I'm not on the beach in Croatia. That that doesn't happen. But just the fact that I can say I'm looking at the mountains or looking at the sea, right now I'm in a different part of the world. And I love that about my job to this day. But Split in Croatia is quite far from Amsterdam and Milan isn't close either. So these are long days. This is one of the longest duties we have. The difficulty with a four-sector day is compared to a two-sector day is if I if I fly to Lisbon and back, how do I say it? You basically have, you have the same amount of work on a one hour flight and a four hour flight. Generally, you do the boarding, you do the safety demonstration, the takeoff, the landing, the disembarking. They're the hard parts. And when you have four takeoffs in a day, four landings in a day, four safety demonstrations, four boardings, all that, it just it's a lot of extra work in a much much smaller time frame because you're constantly on the go because there are shorter flights. So you have less time to eat and then generally, or not to eat specifically, you always make time to eat, but you have less time to relax, less downtime all in all, because there's more activity, there's more takeoffs and landings, and everything in between. But there's also some energy you can get from that. It's constantly a bit go, go, go. It's a bit draining at the end of the day, sure, but during the day you're usually relying on adrenaline and caffeine, truth be told, most flight attendants are. And hopefully you have a good crew on the day and there's a bit of a buzz and you're having fun, you you know, you're having a good time together. And some days you get paired with people who you're really compatible with and you have the greatest day and you're you're only on the same wavelength and it's just hassle-free. And there are days when you can fly with someone who's not like that. Maybe they're well-intentioned and they're very nice and they're trying their best, but you... It can be more difficult. There are some colleagues who, like everybody, you just like some people more than others. And if you have a good blend of the right crew on the right day, oh, it's, it just makes the day it makes your job so much easier. And especially for me, I'm what they call the cabin manager on board. So when you get onto the plane, there are four cabin crew on an easy jet flight. When you get on the front door, there's normally one or two people standing there. That'll be me at the front door. I'm the number one. There's one, two, three, and four, basically. And the number one is the cabin manager, and to a normal passenger, it would look the same. There's no difference in hierarchy. We all wear the same uniform. I'm just the one who makes the announcements, and I'm usually the one standing at the front door. That's the only difference, probably visually, to the passengers. But behind the scenes, that means you're basically the boss of the cabin crew. So the, the we follow a chain of command on the plane. The captain, the, the senior pilot, there are two pilots and four cabin crew. We have a captain and a first officer. The captain's in charge of the aircraft, everything he's in, the head of command, we follow his orders, everything is on his approval, his authority, or should I say, their authority, we, we have male and female pilots. Force of habit, unfortunately, but that's the patriarchy for you. So they're in charge, but for most of the flight, for most of the workday, the door is shut and locked, and quite rightly so, and they're flying the plane, and they're taking care of all aviation and navigation, as they call it. And then you have us on the other side in the cabin with the passengers. And quite a lot can go right and wrong with there. There's a lot of stories, a lot of things that they might not even know about through the day. So the the decisions have to be made by the crew. And within the crew, we have a hierarchy. And the cabin manager, and then you go number two, three, and four in that kind of order of priority, order of seniority. And yeah, so I basically, I'm in charge of the paperwork and I'll, I'll do the announcements when, ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm, I misspoke again. We don't say, ladies and gentlemen, anymore. We say, dear passengers, or other forms of gender-neutral greetings, which I like. So I'll say, dear passengers, welcome on this EasyJet flight to Milan Malpensa. Flight time. Bah, 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 bah. This is my crew today. I'm joined by, by her, him and her. And now we just need a few minutes of your attention to point out the safety features on board this Airbus A3. So that's my day, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to talk you through the day, a day in the life from waking up to going to bed, because that's it, it really is a whole day thing, especially when you're doing a split Malpensa. So I worked uh, four days this week, and I flew I flew four times in a row for the first time in a long time, in too long. But the first three days I worked were early duties, which means they're the early morning flights. So their departure is anywhere between 6, 7, 8 a.m. maybe. And a departure at 7 a.m. means I have to be on the aircraft at 6 a.m., which means I have to be in the airport at 5 a.m., which means I have to wake up around 4 a.m. That's a bit simplistic. Some things take longer and shorter. But you get the idea, I have to be up at 4am for the early duties, and that's that's tricky. I haven't been waking up at 4am much these days, so it takes a, a naturally a lot of time for the body to get into the good rhythm and get used to that again. And truth be told, I didn't prepare well enough. Normally you start to transition your sleep schedule, try to go to bed an hour earlier, wake up an hour earlier to gradually transition into it. I usually am pretty good at doing that, because you have to be for this job. But I wasn't in this case. So I had three w- early work days, which were, you know, just I had underslept each and every night. And it was tough, but that's quite often the reality of cabin crew. A lot of them do not get enough sleep. And that's that's a problem we deal with, but I digress. So my last duty, my, my last day's work, the one I want to talk about today is Split Malpensa, was a late duty, at least. So, I mean, the first flight of the day, the Amsterdam to Split flight, left at... 12 at lunchtime a midday should i say at the very least that meant i could go to bed i didn't have to set an alarm for four o'clock in the morning i didn't have to set an alarm at all because i would wake up naturally and i so it was a long day as i said one of the hardest duties we have in the amsterdam base but at least i'd be tackling it with a good night's sleep finally rather than not being well rested the previous work days so i woke up naturally had my breakfast got my stuff ready sorted out my uniform packed my bag For your crew bag, you need to take, obviously, some food with you for the day. They provide some, EasyJet give us some crew food, but there's a lot of unhealthy options. Quite often, it's not vegan, so I always like to rely on my own. Trying to leave the junk food on the ground, at least. But I'm getting my bag ready, sorting out my uniform, showering, you know, trimming the beard, making sure you're allowed to have a beard as EasyJet cabin crew. Not airlines do let their crew have beards. But easy to do as long as it falls within a few certain guidelines of where it is on the face and if it's just generally neat and tidy. So I had to trim the beard a bit, shine the shoes and get ready for work and I take the bus to the airport. The 300 from Harlem Station, pretty regular service. It goes every six minutes I think most days which is great. So I don't even check train times I just, or bus times. I just turn up to the station. It's five minutes from my apartment so that part's pretty easy. It takes about 40 minutes to get to the airport. And then probably another 40 minutes to get to the plane, truth be told, because Amsterdam airport is a big one. There are certain restrictions now with COVID and they, they've they shut different parts of the airport. So it's currently taking even longer. There's, we essentially have to take the long way around to get to our part of the airport. And in Schiphol, in in Amsterdam airport, the local, aka the Dutch airlines, KLM, TUI, Transavia. They have a special crew centre that they can use, but the foreign airlines, anyone, any non-Dutch airline who's based in Schiphol, which I think might only be EasyJet, Delta have a certain agreement as well. But we have to basically take the passenger lanes. And there are certain priorities we get. We get our own little security booth. and We don't have to go through the, the full level of security checks that passengers do. But all in all, it can take really half an hour to about 40 minutes, depending on the time of day and where you need to go to get to our crew room. That's where we would previously report and we'd do the briefing. I mean, you basically, you'd meet the crew, and you'd talk about the day, you'd fill out some paperwork, all in the crew room. The management are there if you need to ask any questions. and There's always other crew, which is nice, which I miss, because currently the crew room is closed. We don't report there anymore. Every Each individual crew goes straight to the aircraft. So we go down the stairs and we walk out onto the ramp, which is the active tarmac area where all the planes are lined up. You know... You you check the information, you know which plane yours are. We're on the Hotel Pier in Amsterdam, so the, each pier, each parking area for planes is named A, B, C, D, E. We're on the H Pier, and in typical aviation parlance, they use the phonetic alphabet, so Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, that whole thing, especially when you're dealing with international people and different languages, that kind of thing, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo. But we are on the H Pier in Am- in Amsterdam Airport, which is the Hotel Pier, and then we have Hotel 1, Hotel 7. There are seven planes that can park there, seven parking spots. You find out which one is yours for the day, go on board, and then we start our security checks. All the crew get on board, and there are certain things we have to check, all the safety equipment. The pilots will check the aircraft, obviously the engines, and the, make sure everything's operational. EasyJet fly Airbus planes, and Airbus is quite a how do I say it, like an automated system. There's a lot of tech on board, a lot of computer-operated systems versus the Boeing aircraft, which is more manual, a bit more old-fashioned that way. So that they will obviously check all the physical components, make sure the plane's in good order, good flying condition. And we will do the same with our safety equipment, so the likes of fire extinguishers, oxygen bottles, the defibrillator we have on board. The vast majority of emergencies that we would have to deal with would be medical emergencies because, yeah, you have often nearly 200 people in a plane, and the the likelihood is one of them might faint or have an allergic reaction or so on and so forth. Very more, far more likely than a fire or a crash or any of the dramatic things that you see in the movies. So we'll check all our equipment, make sure everything's in good working order. We'll have a briefing, just the, one th- the thing we used to do in the crew room. We do on board now, just plan out the day. Uh, we'll ask a few questions about safety and we'll just have a bit of a chat, make sure we're all up to date on what needs to be known and then we send them on board so the dispatcher the which is the member of ground staff who kind of pulls all the strings they will come on board to tell me how many people are going to be there and if check if we're ready to go we we get all the passengers on board boarding can be qu- the one of the trickiest parts of the day really because you're un- you're quite often you're under a lot of time pressure you might have a a lot of departure time from air traffic control and suddenly there might be baggage issues or there might be some paperwork that's not correct between the gate and all these little technical security things might be off. They have to, of course, double, triple check everything. Quite often might have some trouble with a passenger who doesn't want to wear their mask, so they have to be taken off the plane, and that, that can be... There's a million different things that can go wrong, and the reason a, a delayed departure, but thankfully, in this case, the split was fine. We had a full flight there, so I was on an Airbus A319, which is the smaller of the two planes we have. A full flight there is about 150 people, And I didn't realise, but Split in Croatia is a young person's destination. I've been there. I went there a few years ago. It's a beautiful city, historic centre, and I loved it. I didn't really consider it a party place. But I think exams have just finished here, and people are graduating from school or university and the like, and all the kids were going on holiday. It was a lot of excitable young people. Some were, you know, bringing their own alcohol on board, which is, strictly speaking, not, not permitted, and of course, when there's kids partying and going on holiday and having fun, they're not really wearing their masks, so you've got to check up on them all the time. It feels a little bit like babysitting, but uh, it was fine. That was just part of the job. It was fun to have a good positive buzz on the plane, truth be told. Cause I'm, not going, I'm not going to Croatia, but it's nice to, to soak in the vibes of the people who are. So the boarding went well enough, we closed the door on time, we were ready to go, and before we go, of course, the famous thing on board for a flight attendant is a safety demonstration, you know, that bit where they point out your nearest emergency exits, they wave their hands, show you the life jacket, all that bit. As the cabin manager, I don't do that, so I'll be the one to say, hello, welcome on board, give the introduction, give the flight times, and all that. But then my colleagues, will the other three will be scattered through the aircraft down the aisle, so one in the front, one in the middle, one near the back, so to make sure everybody's got a good view. And I will either say, depending on my mood, truth be told, I will say the, read the announcement, the safety demonstration message myself, or I'll just play it from the pre-recorded one if I'm busy with paperwork or the like, or if I just want to finish my coffee. Another critical thing we do before takeoff, you might hear the pilots announcing this, cabin crew armed doors for departure, or arm and cross check something along those lines that means you know when in emergency when you see those evacuation airplane things the movies movies and youtube videos all that they go they go down the slide the emergency evacuation slide always looked like a lot of fun as a kid i'm not gonna lie well when we arm the doors that means the next time the door is open it's an emergency situation so if it opens the slide will deploy will automatically inflate and then when we land, the first thing we do is disarm the doors, so then we can open them quite safely. And, of course, that has gone wrong in the past. People have forgotten to disarm the doors, and then there's an accidental slide inflation, which is not fun for anybody. But EasyJet do have certain like cross-checks and different things in place to make sure that doesn't happen, which is nice, because I might slip up, I might have a a blank moment and miss something, but then my colleague has to check my door, and if there's something wrong, they'll remind me, and it's just it's never been an issue, so... You're always a bit nervous. You're hoping you'll never be the one to accidentally blow the slide, but it hasn't happened yet. So we've we've armed our slides. We've done the safety demonstration. We'll walk through the cabin one more time to check cabin secure. That's when the crew are looking at everybody's seatbelts, making sure all the tray tables and the window blinds are open. You might think that's obvious. Most Everyone knows you've got to fasten your seatbelts, put down your armrests, put up your tray tables, all those things. Make your Make sure your seat back is in the upright position. Seems pretty obvious, but maybe I'm wrong, because for, for a lot of our passengers, that's not obvious, so we do have to thoroughly check. Some people in good faith just forget to put their seatbelt on, and they realize, oh, sorry, I didn't know, and they're instantly doing it. Some people don't care, and they're trying to hide it, and, you know, people are on their laptops, and on the tray tables, all sorts of things. But we do the cabin secure, we tell everybody to make sure they're properly ready for takeoff, because, yeah, let's be honest, takeoff and landing are the two most critical phases of flight, meaning they're the most... Risky. So during the flight, when we're in the cruise, you can get up, you can walk around, you can what use your laptop, put your tray table down, all of that stuff. But for those 10 or 15 minutes with takeoff and landing, you need to be sitting down, armrest down, straight forward, strapped in, in your seat, ready and aware. So once all that is done, we take off. Then that means we're sitting in our seats for about five or 10 minutes until the pilots will give us a little signal to tell us it's safe to stand up. And that's normally a bit before the their passengers eventually the seatbelt sign will go off for all the passengers and then everybody can do their own thing but we get a little warning about two or three minutes before the rest of them that it's the takeoff is finished and we're, we're settling into an altitude and we can get up and do our things because we have a few things to set up which is mainly the food and drink service so the bistro service as EasyJet calls it after takeoff we might have a coffee spend five minutes getting ourselves ready first but then we'll be straight into the cabin with our service, which is, you know, all the drinks and snacks and all the food that we will serve to the passengers. That can be fun. Sometimes if it's a real party destination, it's really busy. Everybody wants to buy alcohol sometimes or a lot of drinks and snacks. On a longer flight, you could be busy with, you know, running back and forth, putting sandwiches in the oven every two, two minutes. A lot of variety, but I do enjoy it because it gives you a chance to interact with the passengers. Sometimes you might just linger on someone. You they've only ordered a coffee, but you start chatting as you're making the coffee, and you realize, oh, okay, they're very friendly. And other people are a bit more straightforward. They know the menu. They're frequent flyers. They know what they want. They pay. No hassle. No no worries. But I like the service. I I do it for I do this job for the people. I really enjoy interacting with so many people and so many such a variety of people every day. So I, I really tend to focus on that with the service. I like to get to know passengers when, when time permits, of course. And then once we've done that, there they can depending on the destination and the time of the flight, there's a couple of other services we can do. Sometimes we have charity collections for UNICEF, different campaigns we're raising money for. So we'll go through the cabin with that. These days, you might have different restrictions on paperwork and landing. In COVID, different countries have different requirements for entry and Going to Croatia, for example, we have to hand out a special form on board to all the passengers, so that can take some time. But once all those kind of services are done, everybody's got what they wanted and they're they're either asleep or they're happily well-fed and watered. In Split, for example, that's about two and a half hours to get to Split. So the, the, we could be busy for the first hour with all that work, and that's your time to eat and drink something yourself. So we don't have a private quarters on board, there's a front and back galley which are our working areas but they're also where the toilets are so it's never really personal. Sometimes you have a curtain, some planes do, some planes don't. But you try your best, you. Uh there there is crew food provided. There are some hot, hot meals, airplane meals, you know. It's not great, but it's hot food for the crew. They have a couple of vegan options but very rarely and even if they're technically vegan, they're not very good or very healthy, so I try not to use them too much. But we'll have our coffee, we'll have our break if it's a long flight if it's a quiet flight if it's not full maybe you can read a book you're allowed into the flight deck too so we are allowed into the cockpit the flight deck i'm still speaking like i'm talking to everyone who works in aviation my apologies if any of this goes over your head but yeah the cockpit where the pilots fly the plane we're allowed into that little room and sometimes it's really nice to go in because it's awesome to sit in the cockpit see the pilots doing their thing and all the buttons and everything around you that's pretty cool the views there are incredible because, of course, they have some sort of panoramic window on the front so you can see all around you, and they have all the information. So there's a city underneath us. They can tell me what city I'm going to. All that stuff is really cool. The little boy in me that loves flying still loves all of that stuff. But the other great thing that you'll know as a flight attendant, any fellow flight attendants will get this, it's just a chance to get away from the passengers because maybe if it's a longer flight, three or four hours, You've been active and you've been on duty and in service and available at all times. Even when you're taking a rest, you they can see you. And if somebody asks for something, you know, you're always a little bit on. But when you go into the cockpit, there's only one of us allowed in at a time because it's a tiny room. There's only one spare seat. And really, you have to have people in the cabin making sure everything's OK. But you can be in there for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, You can stay in there as long as you like, as long as you're out before landing, but there's a lot of work to do, and I never like to abandon my colleagues for too long, but it's just nice to get in sometimes and be away from the the gaze of the passengers and to get some privacy, or just to have a chat with the guys. Sometimes I fly with really nice pilots that I really enjoy chatting to, but yeah, as crew I'm allowed in in the flight deck, and I do it for operational reasons. We're in charge of making sure the pilots have all the food and stuff that they need, so... If they want a coffee, if they want a, t- a toilet break, if they want a bottle of water, if they want their dinner, that's all on us. So we have to be in and out anyway, but sometimes I'll stay in to chat to them and just admire their views. And then when it comes to landing, th- there's really not much more to do with, unless there's a medical emergency or something particular. There's really not much, much much more to do other than what I've explained. We prepare the cabin for landing, again do that cabin secure check, go through, make sure all the seat belts fastened, etc., and we land in our destination. Passengers will get off the plane, we'll stand at the door saying "thank you wel tot zijn, dankjewel tot ziens, feine dag Fredder. All in Dutch because most of our passengers are Dutch. But of course that's just "thank you, goodbye, thanks for flying EasyJet, enjoy your stay, have a nice day." It's hard because I really try to be genuine with that stuff. I want everybody to have a genuine goodbye and I appreciate that you flew with us today. And sometimes you make a good connection with someone on board and you'll joke about the thing you talked about half an hour ago or but the prob- trouble is it's 180 people or 150 people in yesterday's case that have arrived in Croatia for their holiday and they want to get on with their holiday. So everybody's getting off the aircraft pretty quickly. And it's hard because it's hard to say thank you, goodbye, and be genuine with a smile on your face 180 times or 150 times. But I tried to be. At least shake it up a bit. Some Some of my colleagues will repeat the same phrase every time. Thank you, bye, thank you, bye, thank you, bye. And it sounds so default so impersonal to me so i like to try and shake it up but then it's just it takes a lot out of you actually to to have to stand there and say it in such rapid succession and try to make it sound genuine but I, i i really appreciated it as a passenger i remember before i became cabin crew i really loved how friendly the crew always were and how they'd give you a personal goodbye and i really try to replicate that as much as i can with my passengers when everybody's off We're in Dubrovnik, or sorry Dubrovnik, I mean Split. I've also been to Dubrovnik recently for work, but I was in Split. Technically, that's amazing. The weather is beautiful outside, the mountains are there, the ocean, you can see it from the the steps of the plane. It's all stunning, but we don't linger. We really don't have any time on the ground because we have three more flights to do in the day. So what we do instead is we'll do all our security and safety checks, make sure everything's still in good working order, and we clean up the plane. That means going through the rows, fixing all the seat belts, making sure it's all presentable, making sure the safety card is the right way around so people can read it as soon as they sit down, just cleaning up all the rubbish. Literally, sometimes it means hands and knees with your gloves on, picking popcorn up off the floor or whatever. But that's all done, and then we get the next group of passengers back on, and we fly home. Ideally, when you're on the ground in Split, for example, if there's any time between doing your security checks, cleaning the plane and the next passengers coming back on sometimes we land earlier than expected for example and the passengers are not ready at the gate it means we have 5 or 10 minutes to ourselves to chill that's wonderful because you stand on the steps and you're just basking in 32 degree sunshine looking at the views taking pictures taking selfies with the crew or you're just having sitting down having a coffee and relaxing and just having a chat there are rare moments of downtime on board when there are not when there are no passengers there when it's just the crew and that's really nice but our main priority is we got a long day ahead. We want to stay ahead of schedule if possible. So if we can get everybody on the plane quicker, we can leave earlier and maybe land a bit earlier and, and just have a shorter day, which everybody wants. So we get the next load of passengers back on the plane. We do the safety demonstration again. We arm the doors again. We fly again. And you do that three more times during the day. So we flew back to Amsterdam from Split, get those people off, get the next ones on to Milan, Fly to Milan, rinse and repeat, back to Amsterdam again with the final load of passengers. So four flights in a day, and it's quite go, go, go all day. Luckily, yesterday was a lot of fun. There were n- really no problematic passengers. I had a great crew. A couple of my friends that in work were flying with me that day, coincidentally, which was nice to have. And the other guy who I don't know very well, he was great too, very friendly, worked well. Pilots were lovely. It was just one of those days that, thankfully, because it was a long day, and we're all a bit tired because we're not used to working much these days, having a great crew as I said just helps just makes everything so much easier and obviously when when you have nice passengers for the most part we do too you might often catch cabin crew if you hear any comments from flight attendants they might seem a bit cynical about passengers you might see memes online about cabin crew complaining about passengers and in some cases it's true the trouble is though the ones we remember are the bad passengers so you might have a a flight 150 people on your flight 145 of them are absolutely fine they're either quiet and boring and like no hassle whatsoever they sit there they don't say a word they get off and then you have some really nice fun passengers who are a good time or a good conversation and just really pleasant to be with you very rarely but it's just a numbers game when you have 150 people in a room or in an airplane in this case a few of them might not be very nice and that that's just the way of the world Trouble is, they're the ones you go and complain about at the back with your colleagues later when they get off the plane. They're the ones we remember because it's a it's a situation. It might be a, a passenger who's angry that he didn't get the meal he wanted, or something. His bag was made to be put in stowage underneath the plane. One of the, there's a million different things. Most people are very polite and very friendly and respectful, and naturally, some people are not. But thankfully, the thing I love about being a flight attendant is. I'm not a perfect worker by any means. I have a lot of flaws, but thankfully, the what is needed to be a flight attendant is really what I have in terms of my character, I would say. I don't want to get too self-referential here. I'm, just, I'm patient and I like to help people naturally. I, it gives me pleasure to help others, whether that's tourists in the street here in Harlem or passengers on the plane. I have more tolerance for difficult passengers than some of my colleagues might, That can go too far the other way, so I don't want to become a pushover because you might have a a flight from London on a Friday night going to Amsterdam, for example, and you have three different stag parties on board and they're just going crazy. You can't be nice and friendly and funny to all of them. There are other passengers on board who would appreciate you getting a bit of order in the situation. So sometimes you have to be the boss on board, especially these days when passengers don't want to wear their face masks and that kind of thing. It's a tough balance because I I want them to see... Uh, it's a fun flight and I want to talk to people and make sure they enjoy themselves and everybody has a good time. But of course, you ha- it has to be a safe flight, first of all, and it has to make sure if one group of passengers are having a great time and the beers are flowing and they're singing and shouting, that might be a lot of fun. But then there might be a family sitting right behind them who are hating the whole situation. So you got to strike a balance. It just happened to suit my personality in a lot of ways. The timekeeping, not so much. I'm not a very good timekeeper, but I've managed to figure out ways to make sure... I overcome that professionally, and it hasn't really been an issue. But overall, I'm I'm very suited to the job of a, of a flight attendant. Not everyone is, and that's fine. Some people just physically can't handle being at altitudes and the pressure changes. It's another thing when we have four flights in a day, that's four takeoffs and four landings, and that's pressure change for your eardrums, for your, your body. You know, when you take a bag of crisps on board and it inflates after takeoff, your body does the same. Like, there are air pressure changes, so the, the air in your body expands at at altitude. And of course, with takeoff and landing, there's pressure on your eardrums. So it's some people are just not able for it, despite the with all the will in the world. And that's a real shame when you have to lose somebody because they just physically can't cope with the flying. But anyway, I've gone on a million and one tangents. That was my split Malpensa day yesterday. In one day, I was in three countries, three cities. So hopefully that was a semi-honest, uh, open, decent, understandable overview of what it's like to do my job. It's certainly not a Monday to Friday 9 to 5 office job, and I'm really grateful about that. It's, it's really hard in a lot of ways. It can be quite taxing on the body, as I mentioned. Someone in the, my very first day working at Ryanair gave me advice that I thought at the time was oh, a bit boring. I wanted a hack. She told me, sleep a lot and drink a lot of water. And that's, of course, everyone should sleep a lot and drink a lot of water. But really, that's it. I've been a flight attendant for eight years. I'm going to continue to do it if all goes well with COVID in the future. I want to do this for, the, for years to come. And I can completely agree. Sleep a lot and drink a lot of water. They are the two most important things to, be, to being a flight attendant. But on top of that, you have the right character and the right work ethic and all that helps as well. So hopefully that has broken down the walls a bit for you. The next time you're on a flight, you can look at the flight attendant and hopefully see a little bit from their perspective, what goes through their mind and what they're up to on the day. And if you're going to be on a flight, it would be great if you were on mine. If anybody's flying from Amsterdam with EasyJet, there's a good chance that I could be on board. Keep an eye out. Say hello. It would be great. If you hear the guy at the front say, hi, my name is Stephen. Welcome on board. That's me guys thank you very much for listening if you really want to know what it's like if you have any more sp- sp- uh, if you want to know what it's like if you have any more particular questions about aviation about a flight attendant about travel any of that stuff hit me up let me know you can find me on social media i'm on twitter at StevenRunsPod, i'm on instagram at steven vegan i'm going to link those below as usual say hey get in touch with the show but i'm going to leave it there then it's been a pleasure talking to you today i really hope you enjoyed it thank you so much for listening